This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the governor faces pushback over his decision to end state mitigation efforts to stop the spread of COVID-19. Governor DeSantis is willing to let thousands more Floridians become infected, become ill, and die of the coronavirus. Ron DeSantis defends his decision to reopen bars, restaurants, and nightclubs at full capacity, and he says the state will be getting millions of new instant tests from the feds to use at nursing homes and senior centers. They are going to send it to all nursing homes and long-term care facilities, a lot of them, and then they're going to send the state of Florida $6.4 million on top of that. Florida's Department of Health confirmed 3,266 new cases of COVID-19 Tuesday. That's the highest number in the past 10 days. They also reported 106 fatalities. Florida unions are supporting Amendment 2 to raise the minimum wage because if they left it to the legislature, it would never happen. If you can believe it, the legislature was prepared to reduce the minimum wage by statute. Um, pretty insane. They're also opposing Prop 4, which would make it much harder and far more expensive for citizens to bypass the legislature to place an amendment on the ballot. From conservation funding to fair districts, the net ban, term limits, medical marijuana, class size, all of these issues that millions of Floridians consider important were the product of the citizens initiative process. So make no mistake, Number four is a direct attack on our constitutional rights as provided in the state constitution. Today on Sunrise In-Depth, liberal groups plead with Senators Marco Rubio and Rick Scott to oppose the president's pick for the Supreme Court because they believe that will be the end of the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. Without a doubt, the ACA has been a lifeline for millions of Americans, including nearly two million Floridians. But a repeal of the ACA threatens the gains that we've made as a state over the last few years. We'll also check out your calendar of events and check in with a Florida man who drove his SUV in the golf cart lane. As you may have guessed, alcohol was a factor. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, September 30th. The governor's decision to end COVID-19 restrictions and try to get Florida back to business as usual is not going over well in the medical community. Dr. Anthony Fauci says the decision to reopen bars and restaurants at full capacity is very concerning, and he warns it may lead to another outbreak. When asked about those comments, Governor Ron DeSantis stuck to his guns and said restaurants are doing the right thing. The industry has had to really reimagine itself in terms of how you approach this. And if you go into these restaurants, they're doing things that was never required by any type of, of regulation. And so what we said was, okay, you can't close the restaurant like, like a couple, some counties did. You can't do it. And we actually saw a result. I mean, Miami-Dade closed, I think, at the beginning of July when everything was, was surging. Broward did not. They kept it. And basically, the epidemics were indistinguishable. In fact, Broward probably went down sooner. So we have to look at that. So then the question is, you got to allow them to open. They have to be at least 50, and they can go up to 100. So it's really up to the locals how they want to do it. But I'm confident that these restaurants want to have safe environments. And I'm also confident that as a consumer, if you go and, and you're seeing something that, that you don't think they're taking precautions, then obviously you know, you're going to be able to take your business elsewhere. So they have an incentive to do it, and we've also given flexibility to the locals uh, to be able to fashion that as they want. So, for example, Miami's going to remain at 50%. Um, some other places um, you know, are going to do more. But what I, what I would hear from people is, look, we can do 100% and do six feet distance. Uh, so the 50% was kind of rigid for some of them. And so I think it makes sense to say, if you could do all your seating and you still have this distance, 
then, then that obviously is something that we would want. You're already seeing more people be hired back, I think, as a result of having this pathway uh, for them to operate. Uh, I really believe you can do things safely um, and, and telling people no, that they can't earn a living. Um, I don't think it's something that, that we want to do. I think we want people to be able to earn a living, and I think we want them to um, you know, be operate, operate safely. So who do we believe on this, the governor or the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases? If you ask Dr. Howard Kessler of Physicians for Social Responsibility, he'll tell you trust the experts, not the politicians. Governor DeSantis is willing to let thousands more Floridians become infected, become ill, and die of the coronavirus. Because of his misguided and non-science-based decisions, we will have many more Floridians seeking medical treatment. Without health care insurance, many may not seek treatment in time to be helped. Many will face financial ruin because of the expense of medical treatment. And yes, it's known to affect our elderly, people of color, people in need, and our oppressed minorities the hardest, but the young will not be spared. The young will carry the virus to the most endangered groups and they will suffer. Now Governor DeSantis has opened the restaurants and bars full throttle. Students have been ordered back to schools. The governor's actions encourage young to mingle without social distancing. They will become infected. The numbers of cases are expected to surge. Governor DeSantis's use of herd immunity without a safe and successfully proven vaccine is ill-conceived, not science-based, and will result in more Floridians contracting the virus, becoming ill and dying. Because Governor DeSantis is not trying to control and tamp down this virus, and he is allowing more people to become infected, because of this, and in addition to this, the illness and the death that Governor DeSantis is forcing on Floridians, he is allowing the virus to enter more people. When that virus enters more people, when the virus has more hosts to exist in, the virus has a greater chance of mutating into a new virus that is resistant to COVID-19 antibodies or to the future vaccine that hopefully we will be able to develop. Governor DeSantis is setting Floridians up for a second wave of a new virus with more infections and more deaths. In the midst of this dangerous and lethal pandemic, this is not the time to discourage social distancing. This is not the time to make decisions not supported by our best doctors and scientists. Governor DeSantis, please stop endangering the lives of Floridians. You have at your fingertips some of the very best epidemiologists, scientists, and doctors in the world. Reverse your ill-conceived plan and start to help Floridians. Speaking of COVID-19, the health department reports 106 new fatalities from the disease. That raises the statewide total to 14,313. There were also 3,266 new cases reported Tuesday. That increases the known total to almost 705,000 in Florida. 
The governor was in Clearwater Tuesday to announce the state will be getting millions of new COVID test kits that will give you results in 15 minutes without a laboratory. DeSantis says it's going to be a game changer for nursing homes and other senior facilities that are trying to figure out how to resume family visitation and still protect their residents from the virus. The federal government had procured 150 million of these new rapid antigen tests, uh, COVID diagnostic antigen tests. Uh, they basically bought all of Abbott's lab's inventory and so they're going to apportion it to the states on population. They are going to send it to all nursing homes and long-term care facilities, a lot of them. And then they're going to send the state of Florida 6.4 million on top of that. And so uh, we're going to discuss a little bit what we're going to do with that. But first, I wanted to, we're going to demo this and just show you by the time I finish my remarks, uh, we'll, we'll have a result. And so the good thing about this is you do not need a lab uh, to do it. You see we have here, we have a nurse here. Uh, it all, everything comes in this box. There's uh, I think about 40 of these uh, cards. They have the reagent there. They have the swabs. It is a swab um, that goes in both nostrils, but it's not one of the swabs that really kind of gets up in like your brain where you feel like, oh my gosh, this is really bad. So much more pleasant than the typical uh, swab that they're using for the standard PCR tests. Florida Emergency Management Director Jared Moskowitz says the first batch of 400,000 rapid test kits is due to arrive by the end of the week. We've always tried to be at the forefront of whatever the next technology is. And so when rapid testing came available, we put that out there. When antigen came available, we put that out there. And so when this test uh, was announced, uh, we wanted to make sure that uh, we were at the forefront. And so we were all, uh, the governor and myself were on the phone with Abbott uh, trying to make sure that Florida could, could be one of the first uh, to get these tests. And so, uh, but the federal government bought the entire year's supply. So we were happy about that, obviously, because now we get them for free. So it's even, uh, even a better uh, scenario. And so uh, we will do our part to make sure that this gets out uh, as fast as possible. Just as the division has done that with reimbursement dollars, uh, over $3 billion out back to cities, counties, hospitals, houses of worship, $750 million uh, since COVID began. Uh, we'll make sure that there's no delay getting these to nursing homes and ALFs and senior centers like the Villages or your Century Village or your Kings Points, uh, your John Knox Villages, uh, to make sure that seniors have testing. And we'll work with the school boards to make sure that we can get these uh, to them as well. Uh, in our conversations with HHS, we expect 420,000 of these uh, to be here by Friday. And so we'll work through the weekend uh, getting those uh, deployed uh, as fast as possible. Uh, and as we get more of these, uh, we'll even look at surplanting PCR testing at some of our sites and using uh, the rapid tests because I have a feeling that the general public is not going to want to wait several days. They're going to want results uh, as fast as possible. And that will reduce our costs uh, dramatically, over 75%. Uh, of our costs uh, at our state sites could be reduced uh, by not having instrumentation uh, and not having uh, labs having to, to run the tests. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we'll make sure that, that we do it expeditiously. And the division is also preparing uh, to make sure that we are ready, uh, whether that's in October or November or thereafter, uh, to get out a safe and effective vaccine. Early in June, we went out and purchased five million syringes, five million band-aids, five million alcohol swabs, so that we would be ready 
to avoid what all the states went through when they were all competing with themselves to get PPE, we wanted to make sure that uh, we were not going to have that problem. So uh, this is an exciting day. I said that this uh, was a game changer when this test was announced. I still uh, think it is that game changer, uh, and we look forward to getting it out to the community. Technically, these new tests are supposed to be administered by a nurse. The governor says he'll ask for a federal waiver. He believes it's a waste of time to use nurses when it could be handled by other staffers. Florida labor unions are supporting Amendment 2, which would raise the minimum wage by a buck a year until it reaches $15 an hour. We spent a lot of time on that yesterday, but there is something new to pass along. Opponents of the amendment claim it's not appropriate for the Constitution, that the decision should be made by the legislature. But State Senator Jose Javier Rodriguez says if this were up to the legislature, the minimum wage would be going down because Republican leaders are in the pocket of the business community. Back in 2010, 2011, uh, before I was in the legislature, one of the last things that I did as a legal aid lawyer was put together the legal team that challenged the state of Florida. Uh, if you can believe it, back then the legislature was prepared to reduce the minimum wage by statute. Um, pretty insane. Uh, you know, it was prevented in the legislature, but uh, interestingly enough, that, that effort died uh, a couple hours after uh, we got a court ruling uh, telling them that they couldn't do that. So again, the leadership we need is not in the legislature, unfortunately, the, the majority uh, control there. Um, and so we, we as uh, voters and as everyday people rely on the citizens initiative process. And, you know, I, I just want to just highlight the fact that amendment, what amendment two is about is about a living wage. If you are working full time all year round at the minimum wage, that's below the federal poverty level. No one thinks, uh, in my community at least, no one thinks you should have to work two and three jobs just to get by. Um, that's not that does not make sense. And you know, a lot of the a lot of workplaces we know employers could do better. But hopefully, if Amendment Two is passed. What a meaningful impact gradually getting to $15 an hour is going to have, not just for uh, workers, but their families and our entire community. When you're earning wages at that rate, you know, it's not like you're taking extra earnings, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, uh, play financial games with it like Donald Trump. It goes right into the economy on things that you need. And so there, you know, there is an added stimulus to local economies. As much as they like number two, Rodriguez and his allies detest number four, which says future amendments that bypass the legislature have to be approved twice by voters to take effect. Jonathan Weber with the League of Conservation Voters says that gives the special interest two chances to kill amendments they don't like, and it forces the backers to spend a lot more because they have to run two campaigns back to back. The entire reason why the Florida Constitution had to be completely rewritten in 1968 was because it had become virtually impossible to amend unless a handful of powerful legislators in Tallahassee agreed to place an amendment on the ballot. So to avoid this type of constitutional gridlock in the future, the 1968 Constitution created the citizen initiative process. Number four could lead to the same type of dangerous gridlock that can make it impossible for any type of meaningful reform in the future. The Citizens Initiative process is a tool that has proved useful time and again for a host of nonpartisan issues, from conservation funding to fair districts, the net ban, term limits, medical marijuana, class size, all of these issues that millions of Floridians consider important were the product of the Citizens Initiative process. So make no mistake, 
Number four is a direct attack on our constitutional rights as provided in the state constitution. If approved, this amendment will require all statewide ballot questions to pass in two successive general elections. I believe that Florida voters are smart enough to vote on amendments without having to vote a second time. And the very notion of having to vote twice is really kind of an insult to the intelligence of voters. Number four essentially gives well-funded amendment opponents an unfair do-over every time voters approve an amendment. And if approved, number four could nearly double the number of proposals that will be on each ballot, adding to the length and complexity of the ballot. And this is a complaint that I personally hear about from voters every single year. Florida was already one of the hardest states to get a ballot question from concept to be approved by the Supreme Court to on the ballot and then ultimately approved by voters. And the past two legislative sessions have made it even more difficult. But in politics, difficult doesn't just mean difficult, it means more expensive, which severely limits grassroots groups and citizens from acting on their constitutional right and puts the power clearly in the hands of millionaires and billionaires who can afford armies of lawyers and signature gatherers and campaign teams and slick PR firms. Ballots for billionaires, that's exactly what this process is becoming. Number four is simply a waste of money and time. We don't hold a second election for anything else, so why would we require it for measures passed directly by voters? Florida voters deserve to have their voices heard. This amendment does the opposite. The final insult to voters is that the double vote required by Prop 4 only applies to citizen initiatives. The legislature can also place amendments on the ballot, and theirs would not require a second vote. Next up on Sunrise, a deep dive into the upcoming fight over a U.S. Supreme Court nomination. Some left-leaning groups are worried it will rob 2 million Floridians of their health care coverage. But first, a word from the sponsors. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. Predict It is like the stock market for all things politics. Instead of trading stock in companies, you're investing money into your opinions on everything from election results to how many times President Trump will tweet this week. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Our podcast listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Try it today. Welcome back to Sunrise. On Tuesday, Judge Amy Barrett began what the Washington Post describes as her charm offensive, trying to woo Republican senators in her bid to be confirmed as Donald Trump's next Supreme Court justice. But here in Florida, the people who rely on Obamacare fear this will be the end of the Affordable Care Act. Scott Darius with Florida Voices for Health says the ACA has helped millions of people in the Sunshine State. Without a doubt, the ACA has been a lifeline for millions of Americans, including nearly two million Floridians. But a repeal of the ACA threatens the gains that we've made as a state over the last few years. Among the Floridians who would lose coverage are the 1.9 million who are enrolled in marketplace plans. Over 132,000 young Florida adults, young adults uh, under the age of 26 who are still on their parents' plans. And 287,000 children who gained uh, coverage through different parts of the ACA like the stair-step provision. But the ACA is more than that. In a state where an estimated 8.4 million people, so that's 52% of all non-elderly adults, have a pre-existing condition, the ACA's consumer protections are vital. Uh, the law has addressed the Medicare donut hole, which means a lot to Florida, especially, as we approach the what they call the silver tsunami. And it also has all sorts of anti-discrimination protections. It helps to bring even more funding to rural hospitals 
and helps to get Floridians into substance abuse treatment, which we know is a really big issue right now. So really, no matter how you look at it, Florida has a lot at stake with this nomination and ultimately the Supreme Court case. Margarita George is the campaign director for a group called Lower Drug Prices Now, and she has no doubt Obamacare will be repealed if Barrett joins the high court. We are here as this uh, Supreme Court debate plays out to really ask senators to take a hard look at this debate and to choose their constituents over more um, politicking with our health care. The last thing that we need in this critical moment is to rush through a Supreme Court nominee who we already know is going to overturn health care. We already know what, what her position is going to be because the president has told us that he's only going to appoint justices that will overturn Obamacare. In the middle of the worst public health crisis, when seniors are facing record high prescription drug prices, rather than uh, nominate a Supreme Court justice that will overturn our health care on November 10th when the Supreme Court case, the California v. Texas case goes to uh, a hearing at the Supreme Court. What the president and uh, the U.S. Senate should be focused on doing is actually passing policies that would stop the prescription drug corporations price gouging and passing a relief package that would finally give people in Florida and around the country the kind of relief that they need when it comes to jobs, healthcare, public services, and other basics that we know people are struggling with. Dr. Howard Kessler says the Trump administration has been doing everything it can to unravel the Affordable Care Act, and Barrett would be the final nail in the coffin. Statistics over this last decade reveal that after the passage of the Patient Protection Affordable Care Act, more people were insured. During the last two plus years, this trend has reversed, and we've seen back-to-back -back years of more uninsured people that has not happened before in this decade. The Trump administration has taken steps to further weaken the Patient Protection Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, or ACA, as it has become to be known. President Trump has said many times that he wants to abolish the ACA. Instead of working to improve our nation's health insurance, the Republican Congress and our current president have worked to weaken and eliminate it. We are living in a difficult and dangerous time as we deal with the COVID-19 virus. If the ACA is eliminated, it would mean at least another 12 million Americans would become uninsured because of Medicaid expansion that was allowed under the ACA that would not be available any longer. More Americans would not be able to afford to buy insurance if the ACA were abolished because of elimination of protection from pre-existing conditions. The Congressional Budget Office 10-year forecast published in 2019 predicts that under President Trump's policies, the numbers of uninsured will continue to rise by millions. Gains in healthcare coverage under President Obama have been reversed under President Trump. The president has promised to replace Obamacare with something better, but he's been saying that for four years and we still haven't seen a plan. Your calendar of events begins at 9 when the Florida Commission on Offender Review meets by conference call. The State Reemployment Assistance Appeals Commission meets at 
At 10, State Representative Chevron Jones and the Biden-Harris campaign will host a virtual press conference to formally launch Black Men Vote. That's a statewide initiative to boost turnout among black men in the upcoming election. At 1, former Florida Congressman Ron Klein will moderate a panel of mayors as they talk about resiliency challenges in their cities. Officials from Tampa, Miami Beach, and Fort Lauderdale will join the virtual panel to discuss their city's efforts and challenges dealing with sea level rise and other climate events. The Florida Life and Health Guarantee Association meets at 2. The Florida Seaport Transportation and Economic Development Council meets online at 2.30. Ivanka Trump is in Orlando today for a conversation with the campaign's senior advisor for strategic communications and local supporters for her dad's re-election bid. It starts at 3.45. The Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission continues a series of online workshops about rules regarding the importation, breeding, and possession of invasive reptiles. That's at 6. And Palm Beach County State Attorney Dave Ehrenberg will speak during an online meeting of the Lee County Democratic Party at 7. Finally today, a Florida man is busted on drunk driving charges after deputies discovered him behind the wheel of an SUV in a lane reserved for golf carts. This happened in the Villages, a senior community north of Orlando where golf carts are the preferred mode of transportation. Sumter County deputies say 38-year-old Herman Lee Langley was snoozing with his chin on his chest when they arrived. They woke him up, did the usual sobriety checks. At one point, Langley even complained that he couldn't do what they wanted, even if he were a ballet dancer. The arrest report says his blood alcohol level was more than three times the legal limit. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. 